0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Unstoppable. Do you have problems getting to sleep? Do you have problems staying to sleep? Do you wake up feeling like crap and you have no idea why? Today I chat with Dr. Carmel Harrington with almost 20 years of sleep medicine experience under her belt. And in this episode you find out how to be at the top of your game and have the best sleep possible. So if you're feeling a little bit grumpy right now because you didn't get the best night's sleep last night, then this one is for you don't fall asleep, wake up and listen to this one. Enjoy. Sleep well. Night, night. So ladies and gentlemen, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome Carmel Harrington. Thank you so much for being here.
1: It's a pleasure, Cohen. Thank you for inviting me.
0: No, it's great to have you here. Uh, for a whole range of reasons, we actually were very blessed to have you come and speak at one of our conferences recently. Uh, you are the sleep queen, the sleep expert in Australia, One of the probably one of the most well-known experts in Australia when it comes to sleep. But for people who haven't heard of you or, or know about what you do or your craft, give us a little blurb. Who are you and why are you so good when it comes to sleep?
1: <laughs> well, I guess I am an old hand at sleep because... Um, I've been studying sleep and researching sleep now for more than twenty years. Wow. And so when I first started uh, researching sleep and I was telling my friends I was going to research sleep, they'd sort of they'd laugh and think, you know, you're just gonna sleep all the time, you know. So <laughs> I love um, the, idea of that. <laughs> the idea of sleep and studying sleep was so bizarre in those days. But now of course everyone's moved on and they actually recognize that sleep, even if they don't actually know um in a a grandiose way they know at a fundamental level that sleep is one of our pillars of health Mm. and so when you say to people I research sleep or I you know I am involved in the sleep world they're very interested because they want to know more about it and I think that's a factor of us as a population getting less and less sleep
0: yeah no kidding And also from a performance perspective, you know, it's, you know, now with the you know with innovations in technology mm. and, and information and education, we're now starting to understand that sleep is an integral part of not just good health, human health, but high performance. You know, mm. unless we're sleeping, you know, consistently and getting good quality sleep every night, we can't opt- we can't maintain high levels of performance, can we?
1: Absolutely not. And I think this is what is affecting people now and wanting them. And sort of moving people towards finding out more about sleep, because as we have decreased our amount of sleep, we're actually seeing the deficits in pretty similar way. I sort of um, analogize it to our understanding of uh, nutrition and exercise. Mm. So years ago, um, in the nineteen seventies, we had in Australia get off the couch norm, life be in it. Because um, up until the mid-60s, everybody walked everywhere. They had incidental exercise, but all of a sudden, the mid-60s, early 60s, mid-60s, people started using the motor car. Everyone bought a car and owned a car, so our incidental exercise went by the by. And so we started to see the health consequences of poor exercise. So we had a public education campaign. Now, in the same way, about 10 years later, um, we had a public uh, education program about nutrition because even though we don't remember it now, supermarkets were not the norm Mm. um, 50 years ago, nor was fast food. It was unheard of. So all of a sudden, in the mid-'80s, we had the... um, the life being in Norm, a more or less diet. And so Norm used to talk about the right foods, or more importantly, his wife used to talk about the right foods. <laughs> oh God, so there was a the public education campaign about nutrition. So I'd be the unusual person today... They actually didn't understand that what we eat and how we exercise affects our physical and mental mm. health. But unfortunately, or fortunately for us, for a long time sleep was not affected. Mm. And it was only a short time ago that if anyone rang your house after eight or nine o'clock at night, it was, oh my gosh, who's died? You know, and our TVs went off at midnight and the radios went off. But in the last ten years, and particularly in the last five years, everyone's got a smartphone. Everyone can be connected twenty, four, seven. So all of a sudden sudden we're dropping our sleep time and people are seeing the deficits and they're recognizing that, hey, look, I don't feel as well. I, um, you know, mental health is really suffering. And of course, performance, because we do get that foggy headedness Mm. and inability to act quickly and decisively and make good decisions are really infected, affected by our lack of sleep.
0: And I, I think it's important for a lot of people to understand, like we might be talking about high performance here. But just in life, life is about mm. performance, and the quality of our life will determine, you know, based on the quality of how we show up. But I'm curious to know, you know, you've been studying sleep now for 20 years. Why do we sleep? What's the purpose of it? <laughs> yeah,
1: well, look, it's really amazing. And how come we
0: can't hack it and just like press a fucking button? Or That's something? right. That's what we want to do, don't <laughs> yeah, we? And everybody, I know, right?
1: everybody says to me, "Well, what if I do this? And what if I do this?" <laughs> so the sad, well, not the sad fact, the actual fact is that most of us require seven mm. to nine hours sleep um, to have optimum good health and both physically and mentally. And if we think about it, it would have been far safer to be quietly awake in the cave than sound asleep. But that has not been an option. And um, for millennia, yeah, we, right. we have required about eight hours of sleep. And people forget. The reason for this is that we perform unique functions in sleep that we can't do when we're awake. So the different physiologic sleep is a different physiological state to wakefulness. Now, forever we've recognised that what we do when we're awake allows us to survive like so we eat we get rid of waste products we exercise etc cetera, etc cetera. but what we have forgotten and we need to remember pretty quick smart that is what we do in sleep also allows us to survive and if we don't sleep we are going to suffer the consequences now why we what will kill us Lack of sleep and why it is so, we don't actually know yet. We can't work out that missing link, but we do know research has shown that if you and we're not allowed to do this research anymore, I've got to add this to it, but ethically (laughs) it would be unsound. But years ago, in the early 90s, when they were really just starting to understand sleep, they actually deprived rat pups of water totally of water and then they deprived them totally of sleep and then they deprived them totally of food now. Total lack of water kills a rat pup at around about day 13. Total lack of food kills a rat pup around about day 23. Mm -hmm. Total lack of sleep kills it around about day 18, 19. So our need for sleep falls squarely between our need for water and food. Wow. We understand why lack of water will kill us. Mm -hmm. We understand why lack of food will kill us, but we actually don't understand why lack of sleep will kill us.
0: From a scientific perspective. From a
1: scientific perspective, we actually don't understand it. And this is beguiling everybody. And this is actually some of the work I'm doing right now, looking at um, biomarkers of sleep, what's going on in the brain when we sleep, in order to see, you know, what is it that actually is going to kill us? But what we do know is that when we deprive ourselves of sleep, get less sleep than we need, there are serious adverse consequences in the short term and the long term. Although we're not allowed to... uh, obviously deprive any animal, mm. including humans, of sleep, uh, totally, because it's unethical, of
0: yeah. course, yeah. Tell that to a three-month-old. <laughs> That's true. With a and, mother. But, you know, That's what we like... have to
1: ask is that poor new parent, how do you feel? Yeah. And they feel rotten. Yeah. They feel absolutely rotten. Mm.
0: So why is it that some people sleep, you know, it's interesting the term sleep like, like a baby, why is it that some people sleep like a baby and other people just struggle?
1: Yes, Um. It's interesting. So there's it's uh, it's can be some habit. Yeah. It's genetics. Um, it's the time and place. It's the environment. There's all sorts. So of there's a lot of reasons. factors. Yeah. And everybody is individual. And when someone comes to you and they've got sleep problems, you really have to take a pretty good history. Have to recognize, look at the longevity of the problem. So while I say seven to nine hours sleep is the norm for 95% of the population. Three, 2 to 3% of the population have a short sleep gene. They get away with much less sleep than the rest of us. They only need about five hours to yeah, do what we need. Like yeah. Yeah. And then there's a long sleep gene. So about 3% of the population need more. Right. And so sometimes you get someone come to you and, you know, they're having dreadful trouble sleeping. And you take a history and they've always had dreadful trouble sleeping and so too of their parents and so it goes on and then it could be um that they've got the short sleep gene they've tried to push themselves to have eight hours sleep when actually what they need is Mm. five hours so you have to become comfortable with what you need but in the reverse some of us need more you know some of us need nine hours so you have to accept what your body allows you to have. and it's
0: not one size fits all no
1: absolutely not
0: so what does good sleep look like how do we know if we're getting good sleep
1: good sleep is how you feel. So whether you need nine hours or you need five hours, you're meant to get enough sleep so that when you wake up the next day, you are able to meet the challenges and the joys of the day and able to survive the day and able to sleep the next night. So that's the big test. And many of us unfortunately, meet the challenges of our day. So we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. And it comes to the end of the day and it might be something really joyful, something we can celebrate. For example, your partner comes home and says, oh, look, I've got great tickets to dinner tonight. And the sleep-deprived person's heart's going to sink. They're going to go, no, I just want to go to sleep tonight. I want a good night's sleep. So we're not meeting the joys. And that's the Mm. important thing. So be aware that if you get through the day, but at the end of the day you're so exhausted and you don't want to do anything else, you just want to go home on the couch and, you know, veg out, then maybe you're not getting the sleep that you
0: need. Is it fair to say that there's a lot of people who are sleep-deprived and have no idea?
1: Absolutely. It's quite a common state. And so for people who work in the world of sleep, sometimes it's difficult convincing them that sleep- You actually have a sleep problem. Lack of sleep is an issue. Yeah, right. And they've actually done this great study and they looked at two groups. And the reason they did- go back a little bit. In 1991, there was the Iraqi war, the first yep. Iraqi war. And as a consequence of this Iraqi war- oh, during the Iraqi war, there was friendly fire. And that meant the U.S. troops fired on U.S. troops and Mm -hmm. there was fatalities. As a result of that, the U.S. military put a lot of money into trying to work out what caused it and what they could do about it. Now, what they found was that um, friendly fire, one of the primary causes of that was fatigue. Their Mm. troops were battle-weary. They were tired. They weren't getting enough sleep. And so some of the research that undertook was how much sleep then do our troops need so that they're battle Aware, you yep. know, they know they, they perform optimally. And what they found out is they actually need seven to nine hours sleep. But wow. apart from that, along the way, they found this really interesting um, bit of information. So they took two groups of people. One group of people they deprived of sleep for 36 hours in a row. So acute, maintained wakefulness. Now, at the end of a 36 hour period of maintained wakefulness, most of us feel pretty awful, right? And we know we feel mm. pretty awful. But they took another group of people, and they didn't stop them from sleeping, but they took two hours of sleep off them per night for ten days. So these people were chronically sleep deprived, and this sort of mimics our everyday life, doesn't it? You know, we mm. we rarely have long, long periods of maintained wakefulness, but we often skip on sleep by two hours. So what they did is they took these two groups of people, and they gave them a uh, diligence, uh, they gave them a uh, efficiency and, and test at the start and at the end of the study period. So their speed and um, mistake rate was looked at at the start of the 36 hours maintained wakefulness and then looked at again. And what they found is the people who had 36 hours maintained wakefulness, their performance really was affected. But that's not a surprise, is it? You know, mm. these people knew they were performing really badly but they were saying things like, oh, I can't do this, I'm really tired, I'm doing this really badly. So they had a good self-awareness yep. of their lack of performance. Yeah, right. So they then compared it to these people that they'd taken two hours off per night for 10 nights. And these people, when you asked them how they felt, they went, oh, look, I'm not feeling too bad. You know, I could deal with a bit more sleep but I'm okay. So they did this speed and accuracy test and at the end of that, at the start and at the end. And when they were asked, how do you think you went? They said, oh, look, not too bad. I think I'm pretty good. And, in fact, they performed as badly as the wow. maintained wakefulness, but they didn't realise the
0: self-awareness.
1: that's exactly right. Yeah. So while you are hired for your smarts, like yeah. you might be the smartest CEO, you come into the company and you're really great, and if you don't get the amount of sleep that you need, your performance your ability goes off and off and off, so you're no longer doing mm. what you're hired to do, or you're no longer being the best version of yourself. But you don't know that; you don't recognize that. That is fascinating. Yeah, it's really interesting. So,
0: when we let's say we are perhaps maybe chronically sleep deprived, and we don't know what's the first area that that is affected, or is it different with everyone? You know, is it mental? Is it physical? Sexual? Like, where does it impact us, and how can we look for some of the signs?
1: Well, it certainly impacts our motivation, really, and loads of studies have looked at the sleep-deprived brain. Um, It takes more risks. It's impulsive. Right. Um, Emotionally, labour, so you tend to be more annoyed, easily angered, uh, intolerant and impatient of your people around you. Um, Your decision-making ability is not great. Your libido is very much affected and um, this then feeds into all other sorts of life, of your life as well. So it's generally... Does a, it make
0: us more susceptible to stress as well?
1: Yes, it does. Because when we are um, sleep-deprived, we lose the capacity of the higher order functions of our brain to mitigate or to reduce our emotional behaviour. Mm. So we tend to act directly from our emotional centre, the amygdala. And when we act from our emotional centre, so we get angrier quicker, yep. you know, we don't filter through the yep. higher order and we, we're
0: not... A, Unpre- more unpredictability, uh, yeah.
1: So more labour. So we act more from the emotional centre. When we act from the emotional centre, Center, this is very stressful. So, we produce more cortisol. Right. Cortisol is our wakeful hormone. Mm. And in fact, cortisol is produced in times of stress to protect us. But when it's just due to lack of sleep, it's not a protective mechanism, it becomes very Very negative. And so, the more cortisol we produce, the more hyper alert we become, and the more elusive sleep becomes. So, it becomes a dreadful spiral. Vicious cycle. Yeah. And so, we can end up very quickly in burnout.
0: Yeah. So sleep, like it literally feeds itself. Sleep yeah, it deprivation does. feeds yeah. itself.
1: Yeah, unless you take steps to mitigate it. So um, earlier you mentioned that you do a bit of meditation, things like that. So we have to do. We have to be aware that we're doing this to our body, yeah. and actively try to bring down those alert hormones.
0: So are there any perhaps other apart from the ones that you've mentioned already? Are there any other daytime symptoms that we might be able to be on the lookout for to, to measure the quality of our sleep?
1: Yeah. So one of the things is if you're falling, you feel really tired and want to fall asleep at 11 o'clock in the morning, that is really uh, an indicator that you're not getting enough sleep. It's quite normal to feel sleepy and able to go to sleep at three o'clock in the afternoon because we have a physiological dip in our alertness. And if you think about siesta cultures, um, they take advantage of that. So if we feel though that our peak of alertness is around about 9 o'clock in the morning. So if we're feeling really tired at 10 or 11, then that's not a good sign. Yeah, right. And certainly when people have those micro-sleeps at that time of the morning, um, that shows you very clearly that they haven't had enough sleep. So the the, the need to fall asleep then. If you've got a high... um, You're getting sick all the time, like Mm -hmm. from colds or flus, very susceptible. Um, Probably is an indication you're not getting enough sleep or there's something wrong with your immune function. But But, sleep
0: and immune are are, are uh, intrinsically linked, are uh, they not? Absolutely, because when
1: we sleep, we have something called our natural killer cell activity. It's fabulous. It's, It's when our immune system fires up and our killer cells go out and mop up, any foreign bodies like viruses and bacteria, but also mutated cells that can go on to cause cancer. Yeah, right. And so that works really well when we sleep. If we don't get enough sleep, we have a decrease of natural killer cell activity by about 50%. That's so, huge. Yeah. So in the short term, we're more susceptible to colds and flus. In the long term, we're more susceptible to cancer.
0: And other chronic diseases. Yeah. So you mentioned that we naturally get um, tired in the afternoons and it was only, I think yesterday I was reading about the the, the power of the 20-minute the, the nap oh, yes. in the afternoon. Yeah. Should we be napping in the afternoon? Like, is this going to increase performance? Will that give us a strategic performance advantage?
1: Uh, well, I believe so, yep. yes. Um, so we can face the afternoon dip in alertness one of two ways. We can try to soldier on through and muddle our way through those two-hour period, which is pretty much what a lot of people do. They go mm. to the cafe, have a coffee, or they go and get a chocolate, and they walk around, and and their alertness is very poor. So if they're doing something that requires um, concentration, they're not going to do it very well. Far better that we use that two hours to go off and have a 20-minute nap, all right? Mm. So we want to keep it to 20 minutes because we don't want to end up coming out of deep sleep, waking up from deep sleep, because then we'll have something called inertia, right? very hard to arouse from. But if we do 20 minutes, it's we like make... It's like a sleep hangover,
0: basically. Yeah, right? sleep yeah. hangover, yeah. yeah.
1: So if we do 20 minutes, we're pretty sure we're going to wake up from our light sleep. And what a power nap does is actually refreshes our brain, gets rid of the sleepy uh, neurotransmitter that makes our brain feel tired and because it actively degrades that when we're asleep. It doesn't produce any more of it. Hmm. And so when we wake up, our brain feels quite refreshed. And if we then do five minutes of exercise, I don't care what you do, like just uh, I do hula hooping yep. like, for five minutes, but it wakes my body up as nice. well. And I'm ready to go for the next four or five hours. And I... I maximize. So my you way. do this. I it, do. Yeah, ev- I do it. every day. Like is not every a, day because yep. I'm not norm- uh, not always at home. Yep. But if I am at home, yeah, I do. I love it. It just makes you feel so good. Yeah. So
0: when we do this twenty minute nap, because I've actually I'm actually now seriously going. All right, how do I hack this into my day? Um, but then I'm like, okay, if it's a twenty minute nap, I'm going to assume I'm going to need to be going down for at least ten minutes down, coming ten minutes up. Are we just talking twenty minutes with our eyes closed? Yep. No. Or are we no. We're talking like a twenty minute sleep.
1: Twenty minute. You just set the. Uh, clock for yep. 20 minutes to alarm after 20 minutes you lay down if you don't fall asleep in that 20 minutes then you're not tired enough to fall asleep yeah right. but it doesn't matter if you fall asleep for one minute or 20 minutes the effect's the same you'll still feel refreshed Thank and you. so that people get caught up with and they'll say to me i didn't sleep and i think well that's fine you're not tired enough to fall asleep yeah but if you do five minutes will work just as well as 20 minutes that's yeah.
0: interesting yeah. okay that makes a lot of sense it's going to help me hack that Uh, a lot easier okay so what are the most common sleep problems that people might have that go undiagnosed you know it's interesting because when i met you a few months ago and i told you at the time i was having some sleep issues you you recommended going to the woolcock institute and having a sleep study which i did Mm. and it turns out that i have a form of sleep apnea which is called
1: supine supine Mm.
0: sleep apnea uh which means that i yeah I, I i shouldn't be sleeping on my back again huh. completely oblivious you know and i even went on to say that you know for the last 10 years i've had this incredible you know <laughs> posturepedic <laughs> pillow and i've been deliberately you know making sure that you know for the the health of my spine and my neck that i that i lie asleep on my back flat which i'm now finding out has been one of the issues that i haven't slept very well so i i guess twofold first question is what are the most common sleep problems Uh, Let's start with that one. What are the most common sleep problems that people have?
1: Well, um, actually, probably the most common these days is people not spending enough time in bed. Right. So they're giving themselves insufficient time. Okay, so they're too busy with the 24 7 world. They're yep. always on the iPhone, the, the social media. There's always something going on that you can delay your sleep. So basically, we're seeing uh, just last in August, a um, Deloitte Access Economics report came out that showed that 40% of Australians uh, get it. That's uh, two out of f- five Australians. Adults are getting less sleep than they need, less than seven hours sleep. Wow. Yep. So that's a huge issue. If we take on board, that sleep is fundamental to our good physical and mental health. Um, a lot of those just did not spend enough time in bed. Of course, we also have pathology of sleep. So there's sleep apnea like you've just talked about, but um, restless legs uh, syndrome is often undiagnosed. And people suffer from insomnia for a really long time before doing anything about it. So mm. insomnia is um, sleeplessness, but it actually can uh, affect you either on your way to sleep, so mm. you can't get to sleep, you can't maintain sleep, or you wake up too early. So each of those are sort of different things that we look at. can be a combination. But if you're waking up in the middle of the night for two or three hours or two hours, you really need to talk to your healthcare professional or if you're taking two hours to get to sleep or waking up at four o'clock in the morning. There are things we can do, mm. but you just have to be guided as to how you do that. And that's one of the reasons I wrote that complete guide to a good night's sleep because I felt like not enough people were taking their sleep seriously. They were putting up with bad sleep, like you were. Mm. You, know, you, were you weren't sleeping Soldier well for yeah. ages and you kept thinking, oh, look, that, that happens to everybody. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. And I thought, no, look, there's it's a time now. There's lots of books on nutrition, lots of books on exercise. There's now a time for books mm. on sleep. So I deal a lot with insomnia in that book, talking about the, you know, problem going to sleep or the, the midnight awakening or the early morning awakening, because each of those you, you would attack differently. But you know, my advice, more generally, is that if one of these is your issue, don't go for the sleeping pill. This is what everyone does. Yeah, right. I can't go to sleep, so I take a sleeping pill. I can't maintain my sleep, so I take a sleeping pill. Um, and that's what the solution has been in the past. But it shouldn't be because sleep is what we should do well mm. on our own.
0: Yeah, Is is sleep something that we can hack broadly or, or is it something that really needs to be diagnosed individually? And I guess what I'm asking, you know, is there something that everyone can do that will help improve the chances of having better quality sleep?
1: Yes, by and large there is. Um, and I think we're blessed these days. Like The technology might be taking our sleep away, but technology can help us diagnose our problems. So, for example... Sleep apnea, which is quite a common sleep disorder that goes forever, um, goes for a long time undiagnosed. Um, you can get a uh, an app on your phone to record your sleep.
0: Sleep lab, is it the one? It's called?
1: Well, there's a whole lot, yeah, a right. whole variety of okay. them out there. I, I, sleep bot's one that I've yep. used a bit, um, and so that records your sleep. So if you snore, if you're a simple snorer, it's not a huge issue. But if you snore, snore, <gasps> stop breathing for a bit and mm. then open your airways uh, and and start to snore again, then that indicates you've got sleep apnea. Go and see your doctor if you've got that. So you can come along with your recording, for mm. example. Um, and it's probably
0: important to point out, like sleep apnea, is and it's becoming a very commonly used term, but it's also, correct me if I'm wrong, it's actually linked to early mortality.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Look. Um, so it's
0: not just a case of, oh, I snore.
1: No, it's not. Yeah. Look, not at all. In, in fact, we know that if you... Sleep in general is linked to early mortality. So yeah, so sleep, as as I keep going back to, is the third pillar of health. Yeah. Yeah, So it's exercise, nutrition, sleep, and so there's there's. Fitbits, for example, yep. as well, they, they have a great app where they look at your different types of dream sleep, you know, different amount of dream sleep, deep sleep, light sleep. And if you have lots of arousals in your sleep, maybe you need to go and see someone again. And mm. you've got all these devices that you can go to the your, your health care provider and go, look at this. and. They now know enough to know that sleep should be pretty consolidated. We should be getting good amounts of deep sleep, good amounts of rapid eye movement sleep, or our dream sleep and light sleep. If that's not happening, maybe we need a sleep study.
0: So, with you know, with where we are from a technological perspective, with the amount of screens, social media, um, are these new types of interactions fundamentally changing the way our brain works? Well, that, and again, that's what the science is suggesting. Mm. And is that in turn essentially affecting the way the brain not only works from a processing perspective, but also from a like a, from a shutting down perspective?
1: Look, it'd be nice <laughs> to think that we've we've changed that uh, shutting down perspective, but I don't think we have. We're certainly changing the neural pathways with yep. our interaction with technology, and we see that a lot in our young. Which I think mm. um, we don't know where that's going to end. Yeah, uh, I think we'll be very different creatures in fifty years' time than we are today, mm. n- neurally speaking. It could be a really good thing. I'm not sure. But um, so the process of shutting down is very linked with our eye and our brain. So what happens is our eye detects fading uh, light and darkness. And as soon as it detects fading light, it feeds back to the centre of the brain and the brain starts to produce melatonin. And after about an hour and a half, two hours of producing melatonin, you'll feel sleepy and want to go to sleep if you're in a position to do so. Mm. Now, this system has worked for millennium, like Mm. forever, like forever. So we are now affecting that very much today because people are using their iPhone, their computer or whatever, which is a very bright light source, and they're using that right up until the minute of wanting to go to sleep. So the brain has not produced any of this marvellous melatonin and so, of course, we have sleep issues and Mm. more and more people are developing sleep issues and we know that goes along with poor mental health Mm. and we're seeing a huge increase in depression. Anyway, so how are we changing our neural pathways in the reward systems? Um, That certainly is happening. Can we change something as fundamental as this light system that starts to produce melatonin that allows us to go to sleep? That's a... That's going to be a fair way off, I believe, because if you think about it just merely from survival, it's not safe to produce a hormone that makes you want to sleep in bright light
0: mm. if we think
1: about survival, okay? Yep. So we need to be alert and, and on the ball when there's bright light. It saves us from predators and all sorts of things. So if we're, if we're giving the brain bright light, the brain's telling the rest of our body don't sleep right now, it's not safe. So there's a. a, Do you understand what I yeah yeah, where I'm going? So we might be able to do change our uh, neural pathways because our plasticity is well known now. But whether or not we can change that fundamental physiological system of shutting down, Mm. I don't know.
0: So what are the sleep cycles and what happens at each stage? Because obviously we go through different cycles for different reasons and sometimes some of the sleep issues that we have is because we're not hitting certain stages of sleep. Mm. So what are the sleep cycles and what do we get from each state?
1: Um, we have well, we have two. There's three neurobehavioral states. There's wakefulness. Um, and we're fully aware of what happens with wakefulness. We have certain behavioral characteristics physically, but we have particular brainwave activity. And regardless of whether I can see or not, if you're in the sleep lab and we're looking at your brainwave activity, I know you're awake. Okay. Mm. So very particular wakeful activity of the brain. Then we have uh, rapid eye movement sleep or REM sleep. um, And that's also known as our dream sleep. Behaviorally, I can tell that you're in rapid eye movement sleep because I can see your eyelids fluttering, all right? Um, and if we watch a little baby sleep, we can see a lot of movement mm. of the eyes, so we know that they're in dream sleep or rapid eye movement sleep. Behaviorally speaking, also in rapid eye movement sleep, we are paralysed because otherwise we would act out our dreams because they're very vivid. Now, our brainwave activity in REM sleep is very similar in terms of level of activity as it is when we're awake, but we have different um, brainwave, uh, theta waves and things like that. So we're talking about a different type of brainwave, but the level of activity is as high. And we know that when we are in rapid eye movement sleep, parts of our brain are more active than they are when we're awake. So REM sleep or dream sleep is really important for our cognitive ability, Mm. our ability to behave and perform well. right? So absolutely essential. Then we have non-REM sleep. I always laugh because scientists are so clever with the the way they name things, aren't they? But anyway, so non-REM sleep is, as you would imagine, is the (laughs) time of sleep that we don't have rapid eye movements. But that is, again, a different neurobehavioral state. So we do things in that state that we can't do in any of other state within our 24 hour period so um neurally our brain is not very active so we can see lovely big delta waves it's um Yeah, so our brain is sort of repairing and restoring in our non-REM sleep and particularly in our deep sleep. We have these beautiful delta waves that, Mm -hmm. as you would know, we can get sometimes in meditation. So while our brain is very inactive, our body is actually quite active, producing wonderful hormones that allow us to have good metabolic health the next day. So our deep sleep is really, really important for our physical health in the same way as our REM sleep is really important for our Mental health. Yeah,
0: right.
1: So we have to recognise that each of our neurobeh in, in each of our neurobehavioral states, we do things unique to that state that we can't do in the other. Mm. And while everybody is searching for that marvellous wakeful drug, and there's lots of wakefulness uh, medication on the markets at the moment, um, and we think it's not going to do us, we w- don't want us to do us any harm. While we're awake, we can't perform the activities, the physiological necessities that we perform when we're asleep.
0: Mm. That's so interesting. So, dreaming—like, actually, before we talk about dreams, I want to talk about memory, okay. um, because uh, you know I've read you know different different pieces of literature that talk about the importance of the different le- the, the different stages of sleep when it comes to almost like departmentalizing memories. Yeah, what's that all about?
1: Yeah, so. Um, Sleep and memory are um, intimately intertwined. We think that lots of people swap their sleep for wakefulness in the idea they're going to get more done or study better for the exam, be better prepared, without realising that we do memory consolidation in our sleep. Mm. So um, what we do during the wakeful hours is 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 the first step. We have to do what we do in wakeful hours, but we finish the memory process in sleep. And so our hippocampus, um, which is a very deep structure in the brain, very old in evolutionary terms, actually is uh, responsible for uh, forming and retaining memory. if we don't have a functioning hippocampus, we won't be able to, we don't have memory, we won't have memory, as basic as that. Um, And it's a part of the brain that shows damage early on in the dementia process. But what happens is a memory comes in the hippocampus, and that's fine. And then when we sleep, it then goes around our brain. And we do different things in different stages of sleep. But it's a really important thing to know that our hippocampus is more active in dream sleep than it is when we're awake. Hmm. (laughs) Isn't that the most amazing Hmm. fact? And in fact, when we don't sleep sufficiently, we have a 40% decrement in our encoding ability. Oh. Yes. So... That's enormous.
0: That's massive. Yeah.
1: So what we need to understand is memory is very complex. It's not just the hippocampus. It involves all the different structures mm. of the brain, but we actually, or many of the different structures of the brain, but what we do is we we do that um, filing down as we do, like we put um, emails or different things in different folders in our computer. We do that in our sleep. We put these memories in different folders in our brain so that we know how easily to access it in our wakeful
0: times. Yeah, right. Yeah. So is that possibly also a symptom of, you know, poor sleep if we're having trouble with memory and everything else seems to be everything seems to be squared away?
1: Yes, um memory will be poor, but more importantly processes. So if you're having trouble sleeping and you're not getting enough sleep, um you, and you're not getting enough REM, you'll find it difficult sometimes to remember sequences of how you do certain things. Right. Yeah. and So we, it's a
0: different type of memory loss.
1: Yeah. you, you ha- will have particular problems yeah. in some sequ- processes. And so you often will find this, um, we see it sometimes in people who drink too much, yeah. Um, and they get deprived of rent. They get deprived of sleep, big time, without them realizing they're not right. getting the right sleep. And you'll often see them having trouble trying to remember processes. Yeah. You, step one, you know, step two comes after step one, step three, and they'll get all the the step uh, steps out of sequence, and they'll have a vague recollection. Um. So yeah, we can see real problems in that sort of. Memory. So when yeah. it
0: comes, to, you actually touched on a, an interesting point when it comes to alcohol, because some people drink to help get they to sleep. They do, they do. But what mm. you're suggesting is alcohol actually doesn't help you get to sleep at all. It's shocking
1: for our sleep. <laughs> um, and look, you know, alcohol forms a fundamental part of our society. We yep. drink it when we're celebrating and all that sort of stuff. But of course, any more than one drink for women and two drinks for men will actually affect their sleep that night. Right. Um, and so you'll find, and in fact, in some cases, in more cases than I care to think about, people comatise themselves, don't they? They yeah. sort of drink so much they fall asleep. Yeah. But they will wake up about five hours later, mm. unable to get back to sleep, quite hot, quite bothered, and quite alert, actually, um, because their body, their body cannot get into the, the sleep that they need. They will be uh, particularly deprived of REM sleep. Um, which is good for their, their brain. And um, so they need to understand that um, their alcohol is really uh, affecting their sleeping ability. Right. And in many cases what I have seen is people who drink too much and they actually fall asleep and they wake up, you know, four to five hours after they go to sleep, they'll pop a sleeping pill at that oh point. Oh, my gosh. It, yeah, a, a, But but, not, but you can someone, understand. to be honest, yeah. they will get the sleeping pill from their doctor. Yeah, <laughs> so they can't get the, they can't access these sleeping medications without getting them from the yeah. doctor, so what they'll say to their carer is that I'm waking up four or five hours after I go to sleep, can't get back to sleep so the doctor' will say, "Well here's a sleeping pill and the person often isn't truthful about the alcohol well, intake the, the beforehand because well, it doesn't suit their bad. story, does it
0: yeah. <laughs> So when we when we talk about you know obviously drugs is not the the angle that we want to go down if we can avoid it, but have you identified any particular supplements that really do support the sleep process and do support whether it be the wind down or or, or the sleep cycles themselves?
1: Mm. The trouble with supplements, and this is an issue that most people in the medical world recognise, is they're so poorly control, quality controlled. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, so there are some things that have been shown to be beneficial. Um, and normally they're a consequence of clinically uh, randomised controlled trials, but you know what? They're, uh, they're, they are specific to a particular crop in a particular region. That's yep. how much we have to go go yeah, to. Yeah, right. So if you're taking, for example, um, so hops have been shown to be beneficial um valerian has been shown to be beneficial in some randomized control trials but in others have absolutely no no effect. no effect and indeed it comes down to something as specific as how much of the active ingredient is in is that in, herb yeah. and that is reliant upon the soil and the growing conditions and things like that and there is no quality control in this area so i'm very hesitant to to recommend anything in particular, but if people want to look at um, the supplements, then go to see, put a bit of effort into researching, see if the claims have been met by randomised controlled trials yep. and see what drug company has done them yeah, and right. get that particular supplement okay. because they have been shown to be beneficial. Mm. You just have to be a generic right valerian, quality. generic hops. Don't worry, don't think about but having said that, yep. there are some vitamins and minerals that we know will help. So calcium and magnesium mm-hmm. are very good in aiding I yep. find magnesium yep. fantastic. It yep. is. So moving away from the hops and the valerian, things yep. like that. Um, calcium and magnesium quite good sleep minerals. Okay. Mm.
0: Also, cannabis research seems to be, you know, quite hot right now for a whole range of mm. reasons. Everything from the CBDs, the THCs, the THCAs, being used with everything from, you know, um, treating seizures, treating, you know, in some cases, you know, cancers. But also there's a lot of research now coming out with the use of um, using cannabis for sleep related issues. Are mm. you across any of the research or familiar with anything that's yeah. come out?
1: Um, the last time I looked at this was probably about two years ago. Um, and... People do use cannabis to relax, and they do use it to sleep. But what my understanding of the research is is that after a particular amount of time, like anything else, there's a habituation mm-hmm. to the cannabis. So you need to have more of it to to induce the sleep. And unfortunately, if you, the more cannabis we have, the more it's going to affect your wakeful hours. Mm-hmm. So you might choose you don't want to go down that path anymore, but there will be issues with having natural sleep after it. So it seems to, um, if you want to go off it, you will have a period of insomnia or sleeplessness, which often causes people to go back onto their cannabis habit. um, And it actually validates their belief in the (laughs) fact that cannabis is helping their sleep. When in fact, uh, it doesn't seem to be the case after a certain period of habituation.
0: Right. Mm. Okay. Interesting. So let's talk about dreams for a moment. Um, you know, you said that the the, the 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 dream cycle is an important part, you know, of our sleep process. But what what is the purpose of dreams, or is that beyond your scope? Uh, look, I'm not a dream. dream <laughs> I know you expert. probably get that a lot. I dreamt last yeah. night about a donkey. Well, what does it like,
1: mean? I can't say. i one of the things I find fascinating about. Uh, dreams is their creative value. So one of the things that happens when we uh, sleep, or particularly when we dream, is the rational part of our brain is deactivated. Okay, so that part of the brain that tells you certain things about the world is deactivated. Now, we don't understand, normally we, we don't really have any true understanding of how pervasive our rational brain is. It actually interprets our environment against social and physical norms that it's been exposed to since we were babies, all right? Mm. So while something on this desk is a glass, and we might perceive it as a glass, our rational brain confirms everything about the fact that that is a glass, all right? So the rational brain tells us, and it will stop us making up a story about this glass on the, the desk here. That doesn't allow it to be a glass. I know that's quite sounds no, quite complex, yep. but um, it fits within our understanding of social, logical, and physical normality. Yep. But when we sleep, we don't have that rational brain, so it allows us to do quite unusual things. So, you if you Google discoveries made in sleep. Loads and loads of discoveries have made in sleep. One of the prime examples, and many years ago um, when I first finished uh, school, I was a biochemist. And I was always aware of this very interesting story about the benzene, the molecule, okay? So the benzene molecule was, an, no one understood the shape of it. And the shape of the benzene molecule was really important for for everything else. And so it beguiled chemists for years. And there was this famous chemist, Cucullier, Um and he was working on the the shape of the benzene molecule. And he had a dream one night. And in the dream, Um, he had atoms going around in his head. And for a chemist, that's not unusual, I guess. (laughs) Now, these atoms then gradually morphed into snakes. And again, we know we have bizarre dreams. It's completely normal for this. No one is surprised by that happening in a dream. Then one of the snakes grabbed its tail by its mouth and formed a ring. And up, woke up and knew straight away that that was the benzene ring. Okay, the shape of the molecule, the benzene molecule, was a ring. And he knew straight away, and that discovery made in, in, in sleep. And indeed, because our creative, our rational brain is deactivated in REM sleep, this is the time that we can come up with really novel thoughts. We can put two mm. very different thoughts together to come up with this really novel idea. We can have neurocognitive thoughts, we can have neural thoughts in sleep that we cannot have when we're awake. And so people are often very creative as a consequence of their sleep. And if you ask people, have you ever had a problem that you, you sort of, you know, mulling over before you go to sleep and then miraculously when you go to sleep you have the answer? When you wake up, mm. they go. Everyone thinks that's normal, and then we've just rested the brain. Well, yes, we have rested the brain, but we've done really interesting things in our sleep and connected things that wouldn't weren't coming together when we we're awake. We've done that in our sleep and come up with the answer. And I so, was, so yeah. if you want to be not only smart and really well behaved and really a peak cognitively speaking, but if you want to be the clever person in the room, make sure you get your sleep because mm. you're you're going to be the one. Who's going to do the innovation, come yeah, right. up with a novel idea. Yeah. So
0: I guess then I, I, I want to go a little bit further. What's When we talk about dreaming and then we talk about lucid dreaming, yes. what's the difference between the two? at a brain function level?
1: Well, lucid dreaming is that we actually know that we're dreaming. Mm -hmm. We actually have another level. So when we're asleep, we're conscious, but we've just got another level of consciousness. And I don't really understand lucid dreaming, but we have another level of consciousness being thrown in there as well. So um, most of us don't lucid dream. Mm -hmm. Some of us do it naturally. But from my understanding of it, we can practice it and we can try to do it if that's what we want to do. Now, I, I don't want to talk any more about it because I don't understand yeah, it no, enough. enough. It's not been where my yeah. research is at. But it have is, we
0: seen a difference in the, the brainwaves when people are lucid dreaming versus just normal
1: There has to state? be, and I can't say for sure, but there would have to be another type of brainwave coming in there for us to have that observation power mm. of our dreams. So, yeah.
0: Is there anything that we can do to induce dreams or increase the likelihood of either having dreams or remembering them?
1: We all dream. Yeah, we all dream. A lot of us don't remember our dreams. Um, And oftentimes, we're more likely to remember our dreams if we have a period of wakefulness after REM. So sometimes when we transition from one sleep state to the other, so we go from REM sleep into light sleep, we'll have wakefulness. Um, Most of us um, don't remember that wakefulness, but if we do and we come out of dream, we'll We'll remember the dream. The way we can um, improve our memory of dreams is to, when we have that mode of wakefulness, force yourself to wake up and write down your dream. Right. Okay? Yeah. So you actually have to start processes. Like I don't remember most of my dreams. Sometimes I remember them. Um, And if I think they're important, something that's come to me. So something really interesting came to me one night about the research I'm doing, and I did force myself to wake up enough to write it down, because I wouldn't have remembered the next day, because you have to be awake for more than five minutes for something to go into uh, the deeper parts of the brain. Yeah. So if you're only awake for two minutes, the next day you think, oh, I thought of something, I thought of something, I thought of something, I can't remember it. So if it is what you think is quite important, and this particular bit was really important to me. And it it has turned out to be quite important. Wow, (laughs) which is incredible. Um, Yeah, so you write it down. Write it down.
0: Five minutes. Then back to sleep.
1: Yeah, or write it down so that you remember it. But there is a famous researcher again who um, was doing a particular type of research and he woke up after a dream knowing it was really important. He wrote it down and the next morning he woke up quite excited and he looked at what he wrote down. It was all gobbledygook. So the next (laughs) night when he had the same dream, he actually forced himself to get out of bed and write it down. Mm.
0: Um, I'm... I love routines, and I find that, you know, when you look at anyone who's got success in any area of their life, they've typically developed a range of routines that support them to achieve a specific outcome. Um, And it's interesting when you look at, you know, how we live our lives. Most of us will have routines for most things that we do. But I find that routines are really potent because they enable us in many ways to develop automatic behaviors Mm. that make things effortless so we don't have to think so much about it. Do you see one of the challenges that we have when it comes to sleep is people just don't have good routines? And by I don't, I'm not talking about the routine of, okay, I'm in bed, I'm asleep. Mm. But is, it, is there an importance around the routine of not only going to sleep and how we wind down, but also how we wake up and how we get ourselves out of bed in the morning and, and, and essentially kickstart our brains?
1: Mm, absolutely. We're all Pavlov's dogs. Mm. At the end of the day, we're highly conditionable. And the more routine we create in our life, the more conditioned we are. And again, if we, one hour before bedtime, have the alarm go off, start to turn off computers, guess what happens? Our brain very quickly says, okay, this is our going to bedtime, so I'm going to start producing serotonin and melatonin, and I'm going to do all the things I need to do so that you can go to sleep. Mm. So that's it's all about the hormones that we produce that allow this conditioning. So with Pavlov's dogs, as you know, um, is that they started to salivate. They would always salivate when the bell went and the meat was there because the meat was there when the bell went. But after a while, they would salivate just when the bell went, even when there was no meat because they knew or their brain was so so conditioned, so conditioned yeah. to do that. So the same way of a morning, if we teach ourselves, okay, when the alarm goes off and forget about that snooze button, all these people with snooze buttons that goes for half an hour or something, all they do is have disrupted sleep for mm. half an hour, so forget about the snooze button. Have the alarm go off and at that time, okay, I get up. And so qu- pretty quickly your brain recognises, okay, this is the time I get up and I have to have my alert hormones. Is this, this is when you want your cortisol to come in, kick in and all that sort of stuff. Um, so the more routine we are, the better our life actually is, mm. the more our hormones respond to our needs. Mm.
0: So so essentially with a good sleep routine, you're saying at least an hour before we want to yeah. be unconscious? We need to start preparing our brain for for, mm. for that state.
1: Yeah, but I wouldn't say unconscious an hour oh. before we want to be asleep. Okay. Yeah, because we are still conscious. It's just another level of consciousness. Okay,
0: great question, and that's yeah. what, that's where I want to. Actually, yeah. you dovetailed into that beautifully. Yeah. <laughs> so, what happens to our consciousness when we do sleep?
1: It's just another level of consciousness. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's not unconscious. Unconscious yeah. is uh, quite different. Yeah. that the, the coma state. Yes. But um, because guess what? When we're asleep, our brain's really active. Mm. <laughs> so it's actually quite doing lots quite and conscious. lots of things. Yeah. And it's and indeed, um, for example, uh, to highlight the consciousness of the brain and when we sleep, is that what's been found is often people when they're in a hotel room for the first night have poor sleep. Um, they feel like they sleep on the edge, you know, they're always very light sleep. But after a couple of nights, they're okay. So what it has been found is that when we're in a new environment, many of our brains, uh, individuals, unless you're really used to living in new environments, they actually sleep uh, in different hemispheres. So one part of their brain will be in light sleep, And you're easily aroused from light sleep. And the other part of the brain might be in deep sleep or REM sleep. And that's why you feel like, if you're not used to sleeping in new environments, you're, in evolutionary terms, trying to protect yourself.
0: Yeah, no kidding.
1: Yeah. So that just shows you just how conscious the brain still is. It's aware enough that it's got to keep you safe.
0: That's Was that interesting? That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely
1: amazing. Yeah. So next time, and and how, and for people who travel a lot in new environments, yeah. so it does. It's not an issue because the brain Adapt. has adapted to yeah, that. Yeah, got it. But if you don't travel a lot in it, not in new environments, one of the things you can do to make your brain feel safe is to bring your own pillow to make sure your routines mm. in ho- at home are pretty yep. much your routines away. So maybe bring your same cup that you have your herbal tea in, or your pillow, or something that the brain can feel quite. Familiar familiar. familiar with, and this is a safe environment and you might be able to get a better night's sleep. Yeah,
0: nice. Well, I, I used to travel with the same pillow everywhere I went until I had my sleep study and I don't care <laughs> yeah. anymore. I you, just, you ditched that pillow. I ditched the pillow, <laughs> the $300 pillow. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when we talk about um, food and sleep diet, like, is there a set of foods or is there a way of eating that can actually support us to sleep better?
1: Yes. Look, with sleep, um, especially as people work longer days these days, than they do and they commute greater hours, um, people often have a main meal at eight o'clock at night and then try to go to sleep at 10. It just doesn't work. Um, because not only have you given your body um, an indication, it's a high level of fuel, so it's woken your body up, but it takes longer to digest at night. And so it will cause issues maintaining sleep. All right, So you often have not a very good night's sleep. So what you need to do is make sure you have at least three hours between a large meal and going to sleep. So mm-hmm. it may not mean that you have your main meal in the middle of the day so to many people i've given that advice who have long commutes and of course you know the first complaint is oh but this is a meal i have with my partner you know and you say okay you can still sit down to a light meal at night just don't make it your main meal because it Mm. will affect your ability to sleep and um so what we eat And when we eat, it does affect our sleep. So as we age, it's particularly important not to have caffeine after lunchtime because our metabolic rate slows and we can still have quite a high level of a caffeine in our body at 10 o'clock at night because it takes that long to metabolise it. Um, There are certain... um, Red meat can keep some people awake, as can cheeses because of the different type of amino acid in those. Um, The old adage of a a warm... uh, Hot chocolate actually works really well. So it works. <laughs> it does work, yeah. Stop For it. physiological reasons, it does right. work, yeah. Um, and then after a while, of course, it works on its own because of the conditioning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it actually will help you go to sleep. Okay. Um, yeah. So there are certain foods. That will help you sleep, and there's certainly foods that will keep you awake.
0: What about fasting? Like intermittent fasting is making a big um, a big show now. Yep. You know the ketogenic diet, but I'm more interested in the fasting aspect. Have you discovered any correlation between the use of either whether it be fasting or intermittent fasting and better quality sleep?
1: Actually, it's interesting, isn't it? Because with intermittent fasting or the the two five the five two yep. diet or whatever, where you don't eat much, um, the brain on those fasting days. There is some research, uh, which I became very interested in, because those days that you don't give your body um, as much food, and when you're fasting, the body becomes very, or the brain becomes very interested in finding food. Mm. So it starts to develop new neural pathways. Yeah. And because you're giving the brain a lot of alertness, there is some research, and it's not... Like it's ambivalent, but can indicate on those days you fast, you actually are more alert when you sleep. You're not um, sleeping as well. Yeah. Um, but that's really early, early, early days. So it'd be interesting to see where that yeah. goes in the sleep research because your your body becomes very interested in looking for
0: yeah right. fuel. Well, I'm more than happy to donate my brain. Yeah. Because so, I've been intermittent fasting. And I've how been, have you found it? Well, it's incredible. Like I've been fasting seven to 10 days since 2000, like right. once or twice a year. Uh, but then it was in February of last year, I started doing the... Um, I didn't do the 5-2, I started the 16-8. The oh, okay. So yeah. I'd fast for 16 hours a day, eat during an eight-hour window. And now I've got to the point where I'll maybe eat once or twice a day. Right. Um, yeah. And then once a week, I'll have like a, a huge blowout on some food. But everything's shifted. My memory's better. My health is better. My, you know... And even I would ha- I would go as far as to say even my sleep is better. However, I do attach a lot of my sleep... Like my current health and my sleep, to the amount of meditation that I'm doing as well. Yeah. Which kind of will more we'll segue into that. Like, is there is there any documented research that suggests that any mindfulness practices or meditation can you know, actually supports better quality sleep?
1: Yeah. So mindfulness is really good. I think I think the terms mindfulness and meditation are a bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So meditation is a practice which actually can be quite alerting to the brain, and it's really good if we do it in the morning. And if we do it in the morning, it would seem, the research indicates it's really good for our sleep
0: Mm. at night.
1: Okay, If we meditate too late, in the evening, it can negatively affect our sleep. Also, the research indicates mindfulness, on the other hand, it brings us into the moment, it stops our brain going boom, 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 like a you know, pinball machine going all over the place. Mindfulness will bring us back in the moment, um, allow us to concentrate on our own physiology and where we are, and it actually allows us to sleep. Mindfulness is a very good practice if we're having trouble stealing our brain. Mm. As we go to sleep or in the middle of the night so mindfulness practices are really good um, trying to bring us into the moment stop us from stressing out and being anxious but meditation seems to have that really beautiful long-term effect on, on every part of mm. our system, actually. And it, I think it gets – in a way, it sort of seems to get our body into order, doesn't it,
0: It's Meditation. incredible. It's yeah, affected yeah, yeah. everything for me. Yeah. It really has.
1: So when do you meditate mostly?
0: Um, it's kind of interesting. Well, I meditate first thing in the morning. I wake yeah. up at like 4.30 and I normally do a few checks and balances and I'll meditate for between you know, 30 minutes to an hour. But then I, I don't drive. So I, if I, any time I get an Uber, which is at least two to three to four times a day, I'll drop in and meditate. Yeah. So yeah. And then I'll do it again in the, in the afternoon. And this is probably not the best one, but I've got into a habit where I when I put my son to bed, um, I'll put him to bed and I meditate on his bed. Right. And so I'll put him to bed and he'll ask me to meditate with him. And I'll normally meditate for 20 minutes while he goes off to sleep, which is normally about 7.30 in the evening, mm, which is my yeah. last one for the day.
1: Yeah. Well, I think those... Um, Sometimes um, I'm a great believer in the child meditations. There's some great books out there, but we what we call a child meditation is actually just bringing the child into the moment as well. Yeah. So um, whether or not, yeah. So I think there again is slightly different yeah. meetings. And um,
0: well, he doesn't meditate. I meditate. Right. But what's interesting is even on the weekends now he'll come into my into my bed on the weekends and. If he interrupts my meditation, I'm like, "Hey, buddy, Dad's just got to finish meditating." And uh, it was about two weeks ago. I opened my eyes because all of a sudden it got really quiet, and he was sitting beside me in in the lotus position. Well, He's only great. three three years, ten months old. <laughs> I was just I like, "Oh," and it. he let me even take a photo, which was great.
1: Actually, and that to that point, I think this oh, that's such a fabulous story because children role model mm. over, and that's what they do. They want to be like their mums and dads, mm. and if you role model the fact to your child that Being successful means you don't have time for anything. You don't have time for sleep. Mm. You don't have time for good food. You don't have time for exercise. That's their role model. That's what they will do.
0: And they'll just Xerox it out. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So So sleep psychology, is there a psychology, like do some people's – talk themselves out of sleeping. Oh,
1: absolutely. They can become very anxious about sleep. And the more anxious... See, anxiety is a product of our hormones as well, so we Mm. produce adrenaline and cortisol. And the more adrenaline and cortisol we have running around our body and our brain, the less likely we are to sleep or the less able we are to sleep. So the more anxiety we attach to sleep, um, the less likely we are to sleep. So we have to get... There are different processes we work through, um, but often... Yes, yeah, so we have to talk about the fact that we have an anxiety about sleep. We associate a certain, and often these people actually can't get to sleep in their home, but when they go away on a holiday, they can sleep in the hotel bed because their anxiety is attached to their bedroom, in their home. They know when they go into that room and on that bed, they're going to spend the next hour trying to get to sleep. They relax their brain when they go to a new environment. So it's to do with that anxiety. But there are ways to treat that. Yep. But you do need to work with um, – there are people out there, that they, and including me, that they can work with. But there's more and more um, psychologists that work with yeah. people in this area.
0: Because yep. to me, the, fundamentally, the psychology would have such a huge impact Absolutely. on the way that we program ourselves to sleep. Yep. But you did bring up something really interesting, and, and I am winding it up, but um, – Ocean air. What is it about being near the ocean that encourages so many people to sleep? I've heard about negative ions or positive ions, but yeah. like, have you got any insight into that?
1: Well, I think it's because when we go to the ocean, we feel relaxed. We mm. feel good. And we normally, since childhood, associate ocean with fun. Mm. And that's the other thing. Fun is really good to help us sleep. Laughter. Make sure you, you have laughter in your life. <laughs> and that seems really banal, doesn't it? No. But it actually is really important. Yeah. The fun aspect of our life, the laughter, actually relaxes us in the same way as exercise and things like that. So we bring more fun, more light into our life. In the same way as the ocean. As it goes back to that visceral idea of a child going to the ocean, it's marvellous, isn't it? It just mm. makes us all smile. Um, and of course, when we're near the ocean, you hear the ocean. It's got that lovely so white soothing. noise. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it actually soothes us to sleep. Yeah.
0: And last question, Sleep Body: Can exercise help us get better quality sleep?
1: Oh, absolutely. Study after study after study after study has shown that those of us who exercise get better sleep and continue to get better sleep well into old age. When we exercise is important. Do not exercise within three hours of bedtime. Yeah, right. And and do not skip on sleep in order to exercise. Okay, So people do that. I've had people come and see me about their issues. And, of course, when you take a history, they're getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go to exercise because they can't fit exercise in at any other time of the 24-hour period. And so when we rearrange their day a little bit, everything falls into place. But So the best time actually from research seems to be um, those just before the, um, the sunset, so exercise between five and seven o'clock at night no later than seven finish exercise by seven yeah right yeah so that seems to be the best the time. Optimal time yeah
0: for sleep yeah for sleep also
1: plans. in our circadian rhythm of a, uh our circadian rhythm so we have a biological clock our cardiovascular fitness is greatest at around about four to five o'clock in the afternoon so hmm. it's a great time to exercise but make sure you finish before seven
0: yeah right mm. good to know um the Carmel, thank you so much for your time today. Like I just, I could talk to you all day. You know, you really are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to sleep. For those people that want to find out more about you, you've written a book. Tell us about the book and and how they can find it.
1: Yeah, well, I've written two books actually. Um, The first one started The Sleep Diet because I am amazed that so few people realize that half the problem – a lot of us suffer from obesity or overweight yeah. and none of us realise that sleep has this intimate connection with that. Until we get our sleeping order, we're always going to struggle with our weight. Right. So The Sleep Diet was first book and then after that um, my publisher said, well, I think people are getting the idea but they just lost the way to how to get a good night's sleep. So it's called The Complete Guide to a Good Night's Sleep and it's available in the bookstores. But also I do have a website and I... Um, it's called, I have to remember my website. <laughs> it's called sleepforhealth.com.au. But if anyone Googles my name with sleep, yep. um, it'll come up with, with that information. Fantastic. Yeah, so, mm.
0: uh, what can I say? Dr. Carmel Harrington, you are an absolute pleasure to talk to every single time that I see you. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk about my love of, life <laughs> of sleep. Thank you. thank you.
0: There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor, don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say. And your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website kerwinray.com and also check us out on social media at Kerwin Ray.